1: Good morning. It's eight thirty on Wednesday, June sixth. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we'll have post-primary election analysis with political science professor Nathan Schrader. Then, after StoryCorps, a new report indicates chemotherapy is not beneficial for a certain type of breast cancer. And a doctor tells us what happens during cardiac arrest and why administering CPR is truly a lifesaver. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's primary elections will continue with two upcoming runoffs, one on the Republican ticket and the other on the Democratic side. Here to discuss all the results with us is Millsap's assistant professor of political science and department co-chair Nathan Schrader. Thanks for being here, Nathan. Thanks for having me. All right. In this race, we're talking about narrowing the field of candidates for five seats. That's one Senate seat, four seats in Congress. So going forward to November, there will be one Democrat and one Republican candidate on each side. That's right. And independent candidates or or other party candidates?
2: There are several third party candidates scattered in throughout a couple of those races. Yes.
1: One Senate seat on the primary ballot. We had the special election coming up for Thad Cochran's seat. But but in the uh, primary ballot, we had incumbent Republican Roger Wicker. He handily beat his opponent, Richard Boynton. Uh, but on the other side, a runoff between Democratic State Representative David Beria of Bay of St. Louis and venture capitalist Howard Sherman of Meridian will determine who will take on Wicker in November. There were six Democratic candidates and it ends up with those two getting the most and very close race between those two.
2: It was right, very close all night long. All
1: right, why those two? How did they distinguish themselves from the six?
2: Well, there, there are a few things that that stood out to me throughout the race. Uh, one thing is that Representative Barry Representative Barry raised and spent less money than Howard Sherman did. Uh, but he is an established figure within the Democratic Party here. He's the House Minority Leader. He had earlier served in the state senate, very visible, especially during legislative sessions where people see his name in the news. So he he sort of started out as a candidate who had great visibility among people who follow politics because of, of the positions he's held within the party. So it was natural, I think, for him to be one of the the leading candidates because of that long history in Mississippi. Howard politics. Sherman
1: is an outsider but you say he spent the most money so is that why he ended up at the top?
2: Well that that was what was fascinating to me is Howard Sherman and I, I double checked this this morning he as of late May he had 600 had over the course of the race raised $628,000 and spent almost 400000 of that. Um, so in a state like Mississippi that's a relatively low population state even if you're an unknown person who just walks into the state and has never run for pol- uh, political office before that kind of money can get you known really quickly. And and I think Sherman did that through advertising. He started in, early, I guess it was around April 12th or 13th, somewhere around there with radio ads and radio ads that linked him to Mike Espy, which was fascinating because Mike Espy is very popular. Even though he was not in this race, he's not running until the special election in right. the fall. The Sherman campaign, I think, knew Mike Espy is a popular figure in the Democratic Party Their candidate was fairly unknown. Let's link them together and see if that can boost Sherman. That might have had something to do with his success, too, that early messaging.
1: And we'll talk about chances in a little bit. Now to the U.S. House. In the first congressional district, candidates on both sides ran unopposed with incumbent Republican Trent Kelly going forward to face a challenge by Democrat Randy Watkins in November. In the 2nd Congressional District, there's one candidate, Democratic incumbent, Benny Thompson. Nobody's challenging him. So the primaries for those seats are straightforward. Any comments about those two races, do either of them face there Benny Thompson
2: had no primary opposition in the Democratic Party? But and there was no Republican in that race. But there will be a third, I believe, one, maybe two third party candidates that filed. So their voters in the second congressional district will have a reason to, to vote to in November. To the there will be a race there.
1: OK, the highly watched race in the third congressional district. This is where Republican Greg Harper is not seeking reelection. So this is rather mm-hmm. a historic uh, election on the primary. There were six. Republican candidates. District Attorney Michael Guest and businessman Whit Hughes are going to compete for the seat after coming out ahead, competing for the nomination, rather, for the Republican Party. Guest almost looked to win that seat outright. You need more than 50 percent. I think he ended up with around 45 percent. That's right. And uh, Whit Hughes at like 22 percent. So
2: he he, uh – it looked at one point last night that Michael Guest may have had enough momentum to kind of put the race away, getting 50 percent, then a little spare, a few spare votes to put him over the top. Uh, but he came close. And and this is the thing that I found the most fascinating, a six-way, a crowded, a six-way race with several candidates who had name recognition. Um, Michael Guest's performance in that race at 45 percent in a six-way crowded field, that was a real demonstration of I think, electoral strength and at from one him.
1: point he was at 48 percent. So he did get right. very close to that 50 percent threshold. But what does this mean for the runoff on June 26th? There's such a difference or there was such a difference yesterday. Right. Will that race even up when there's just two candidates?
2: It, it's certainly possible because the strategy, the political strategy behind this changes when it shifts from a crowded primary to a one-on-one head-to-head runoff because now it's up to the guest campaign to mobilize all of those folks who voted for him the first time to come back again. And we know there's a trend in runoff elections that voter participation tends to drop from the first round of voting to the second because it's just hard to motivate people. It's hard to get them out to vote once, let alone twice. So the guest campaign's faced with the challenge of getting their base of voters back out and then some more. The Hughes campaign has an opportunity, though, where – You had these other candidates in the race, Senator Sally Doty, Perry Parker, Morgan Dunn, and Catherine Tate. Their voters have a few options. They'll go to Hughes, they'll go to Guest, or they'll go nowhere. And it's incumbent on the Hughes campaign or the Guest campaign to try to reach as many of the people that supported one of the other candidates to bring them into their camp. But it's also possible that maybe some of those voters are frustrated that their candidate isn't in the runoff and may not be planning to go back and vote. The, the guests and Hughes campaigns are going to have to figure out how do I get them to come back and how do I get them on my side.
1: There were three men, three women mm-hmm. among these uh, candidates, and all three men came out on top. The three women on the bottom right. is that telling in any way gender related?
2: It's possible. One one thing I was looking at was was the that may also have a play a role here. The fundraising totals. Um, guest Hughes and Parker were far and away the top three in terms of race, the, the money that they had available to spend on the, the race, all within the 390000 to $430,000 range, where Senator Doty had $110,000 to spend, Morgan Dunn had about a hundred and eighteen, and the other candidate didn't raise any money. So there could be a gender bias issue here among parts of the electorate, but it also could be that the... The, the amount of money that those candidates, the three women, can't, had had to spend was just significantly less in terms of what they needed to get their name out and their message.
1: On the Democratic ticket for the third congressional district, State Representative Michael Ted Evans of Lauderdale County, he beat Navy veteran Michael A. Cox of Hickory with 93 uh, percent mm-hmm. of the votes. And that was uh, that was a pretty wide victory for him.
2: Yes, I, again, Evans uh, getting close to seventy percent of the vote in that race. I, I think that was a strong showing for him. Uh, just following those two campaigns on social media, he seemed to be everywhere. <laughs> I, I, you know, he he seemed to run a real grassroots, face-to-face, retail campaign, um, and I think that show that paid off in the end uh, in in the Democratic primary.
1: All right, we have about a minute left, and I want to ask you finally. This is a strong state for Republicans. Do Democrats have a chance in November in District Three and District uh, and, and the Senate race in particular?
2: I think just r- quickly on the Senate race side, I think that is the wild card right now because we have that have that race occurring on the same day as the special election, and right now there, of course, is Mike Espy running on the Democratic side in the special election and he's a household name in Democratic politics, uh, he may be able to help pull the Democratic Senate nominee in the Wicker race and the Democratic nominee in the third district race along with him as he builds up momentum in his campaign. Uh, and I think Espy could help. be the, He may be the spark plug, in other words, for, for the Democrats if they want to win in these other races or be competitive in those races.
1: All right. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Uh, Assistant Professor Nathan Schrader from Millsaps College and also the co-chair of the Department of Political Science. The runoff election will be held on June 26th. The general elections will be November 6th. Coming up, a new report indicates chemotherapy is not beneficial for a certain type of breast cancer. That's after StoryCorps. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
3: Everybody likes summer camp, right? But for people with special needs, getting that time away can take a little extra effort. That's where Special Session comes in. It's a program offered at Canton's Camp Bratton Green. In this week's Mississippi Stop on the StoryCorps Mobile Tour, we hear first from Gracie Belote, then Sarah McLean Archer and Baxter Richardson.
4: I've been going there for as long as I can remember apparently my dad taught me how to swim in the pool there when I was like six months old Um, so I've just been like chilling at camp my whole life I've been a camper and a counselor and been super involved and you lived there right oh yeah we totally forgot about that Um, So my dad, when he was younger, his parents were the property manager and um, in charge of the kitchen at the camp. And so they lived there. And then my dad became the property manager of the camp um, when he got old enough to do that. And so we lived on site at the camp for four years. And people always are like, Gracie, you lived at summer camp all year round. Like that must have been great. But in the winter, it was just really creepy and (laughs) and just sad because we were in the middle of nowhere. It wasn't quite all camp songs and games all year round. I went to camp for a while before we were old enough to staff special
0: session. I think it's cool the very first day when you get to see everybody. And do you remember your first special session when everybody gets out of the car and you see all these new faces and you're completely overwhelmed and you've been warned? This is a special thing. (laughs) This is great. Everybody's happy and you don't know why. (laughs) I don't know. I have so many great memories of that first.
4: Yeah. And like the first time that you're a staff at special session and all the campers are arriving for the first day, It's overwhelming because you haven't met most of these campers before. But then the next year you come back, they all remember you, and they give the best hugs. I have never received better hugs than on the day that campers arrive at special session. As soon as they see you, both your and their eyes light up, and you run in slow motion, like in a movie, and then you attack each other with hugs, (laughs) and it's the most beautiful thing ever.
0: I think it's really fun to talk about stories Um, us with campers. But I just want to say the campers are our friends. Like there's this huge thing about, you know, not looking down on anybody that you're with. And that includes your campers and your fellow counselors and everyone. So I just want to say that we regard them as our very closest friends. And I can say that because I have phone conversations with one of my campers every week, at least once. (laughs) Yeah.
4: Yeah. That's one of my favorite things about camp is how everybody is an equal part of the experience of camp uh, there's no separation between counselor and camper we eat all our meals together where i mean we feed each other food <laughs> and we say goodnight to each other every night oh that's another one of my favorite things is saying goodnight to campers at night and everybody just goes around and they're like i love you i love you too and oh that's the best actually you want to tell one
5: yeah i guess this is my first year this i think sophomore year of high school right before sophomore year and I did not want to go to the camp at all, and just did not want to go, never been. But my mom figured out, met the director, and signed me up and sent me on my way. I just didn't know anybody. But I came to like know my cabin, and the first night when all the campers arrived, they were all getting ready for bed, so they were all taking their showers. And this one larger man, <laughs> he would always go in the shower, wash himself, and then he'd walk out. Without a towel, without anything, dripping wet and covered in soap. So we'd have to send him back to the shower so he could rinse off and he would come out and he'd be soaking wet. So we'd hand him a towel and he'd dry off, but he'd always forget his towel. So every morning, another counselor would wake up and get ready for the day. He'd have his little face towel and he'd go to the bathroom, brush his teeth, do all of his toiletries, and he'd have his little towel to wash his face. And every morning he would drape it on his bunk. And then every night... This camper would go take a shower and come out soaking wet without a towel, and he'd grab the first towel he would see. The first towel was always this little hand towel that the counselor used, so the camper would dry himself off everywhere. Everywhere. Then he'd put it back where he found it, and then he'd go get dressed. And this continued all week until the last night. The counselor was paying attention and noticed... That the camper grabbed the towel and he asked if he'd been using that same towel every day, and Camper nodded
3: and smiled. (laughs) That was my first year. To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps Mobile Tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps Mobile Tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation and Mississippi Public Broadcasting.
6: Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, Professor of Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Symptoms of a stroke are most commonly weakness in one side of your body, and our inability to use your muscles, usually on one side of your hand, can't move your hand or your hand goes dead. And, um, change in mental status, suddenly can't talk or can't speak well or start g- garbling your words. A visual changes is, is another thing that can cause this. Those are the most common uh, uh, things to know about. And Those can be transient. There's this thing called transient ischemic attacks where you have a mini stroke, but it goes away in an hour or so. People need to know that they need to go to the emergency room if their symptoms resolve because the biggest risk for having a stroke is for having had a stroke before. So that's a mini stroke. So people with transient ischemic attacks called TIAs are at very high risk for strokes. You know, the most important thing is not to have one in the first place. And It is absolutely silly that if your blood pressure is over 130, over 80, you aren't on medicine to normalize that. We want people's blood pressure to be as close to 120, over 80, no matter what their previous blood pressure has been, as possible. Now, if your blood pressure is lower than that, you're a skinny person, that's great. Your risk is even lower. But if you're the average Mississippian, you need to be as close to that number as you can get for more health tips and medical information listen for southern remedy each weekday at 11 where the doctors are always in for mpb think radio i'm dr rick DeShazo. the health method is underwritten by blue cross and blue shield of mississippi
1: this is mississippi edition on mpb think radio i'm karen brown Some women diagnosed with early breast cancer can now safely skip chemotherapy treatment, according to recent clinical findings. MPB's Ashley Norwood reports.
7: Almost 70% of women with common types of early breast cancer do not benefit from chemotherapy, according to the National Cancer Institute. The clinical trial, called Taylor X, looked at women with HR positive, HER2 negative, no negative breast cancer. It found that treatment with chemotherapy and hormone therapy after surgery is not more likely to decrease cancer reoccurrence than treatment with hormone therapy alone. Dr. Barbara Kraft is an oncologist at the University of Mississippi. Medical Center.
4: Certainly when we treat a breast cancer patient with early stage disease, we want cure and we want long-term cure and we want them to go back to being their normal self and living their lives and enjoying milestones, enjoying birthdays and things like that.
7: The study shows 30% of those women are more likely to benefit from chemotherapy. Brenda, who prefers not to use her last name, shares her experience surviving breast cancer.
5: I was diagnosed in 2012 with triple negative breast cancer and just had a lumpectomy and had the radiation and the chemo. And then this February, I was diagnosed with another triple negative. The kind
1: I've got, you treat with radiation and you treat with chemo.
7: Kraft is encouraging Mississippians with breast cancer to talk to their doctors about the options. This is one piece
4: of the puzzle and every patient is different. Lots of factors come into play. Like I said, this doesn't eliminate chemo for everyone. So if they are high risk, they will still get chemo.
7: According to the State Department of Health, women diagnosed with early-stage breast cancer have a higher survival rate. Ashley Norwood, MPB News. It's
1: CPR Awareness Week, and medical experts are encouraging more Americans to learn CPR. Statistics show CPR can double or triple a person's chances of surviving a cardiac arrest. Dr. Michael Winiford is a cardiologist at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. He says one of the biggest changes in performing CPR could result in more lives being saved.
3: Well, the usual cause of cardiac arrest is an abnormal heart rhythm Uh, either ventricular fibrillation or ventricular tachycardia. In that case, the heart uh, stops effectively pumping. There's no blood flow going to the brain. Loss of consciousness occurs. And without further intervention or help, uh, patients don't survive.
1: When someone performs CPR, what are they doing?
3: Well, what they're doing is they are uh, creating enough circulation of the blood through the body to uh, provide uh, blood flow to the brain. So they are essentially keeping the brain alive for as long as possible. Now, that doesn't work indefinitely, but it sure helps for a short period of time until the heart rhythm can be restored back to normal. Um, So it can be life-saving, but... Uh, Whether it's life-saving or not depends largely on whether or not uh, the heart rhythm is restored back to normal. That, in turn, usually requires a shock to the heart.
1: If someone collapses and a person with them starts performing CPR, 911 is called, an ambulance is coming. It may not get there for, I don't know, 5, 10, 15 minutes. Should the person performing CPR continue the entire time before the ambulance gets there?
3: Absolutely. Um, And one of the big changes in the... Uh, approach to CPR that I think uh, uh, may result in even more lives saved is the demonstration that for adults who have cardiac arrest, I'm not talking about drowning or poisoning necessarily, but the much more common type of cardiac arrest, hands-only CPR appears to be about as effective as CPR with that includes mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. A lot of people are kind of put off by or intimidated by starting CPR, thinking that the mouth-to-mouth resuscitation makes it either more complicated or uh, they are resistant or reluctant to do mouth-to-mouth hands-only CPR. That is just the chest percussions appear to be about as effective as CPR that includes mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. So. Don't think you have to give mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Just do chest percussions. Continue chest percussions until help is on the way. Dial 911 immediately before doing anything else, and then start CPR.
1: If someone is comfortable doing CPR plus mouth-to-mouth, is that advised, or is it too difficult to do both?
3: no it's not too difficult to do both um certainly mouth to mouth effective mouth to mouth resuscitation is um easier and more effective when there are two people providing CPR two knowledgeable people who are uh aware of the of the proper technique uh so by all means if uh, a uh, first is if a responder to a cardiac arrest is comfortable doing full CPR that includes mouth to mouth then uh, uh, that's uh, probably more effective. Uh, but, um, again, the data we have right now, it looks like hands-only CPR is, uh, is pretty effective. Um, we would not recommend hands-only CPR for drowning victims or poisoning victims, but for cardiac arrest victims uh, it appears to be uh, about as effective as, as mouth-to-mouth.
1: Cardiologist Dr. Michael Winiford of the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Fix It 101. At 10, Everyday Tech. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB public media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.